Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. All right. We are going to do some trials and triumphs today. And you guys, we still have a special guest this week again. Hi. Karen's back with us. Crashing the party. (laughs) Our favorite party crasher. Thank you. (laughs) So Caroline is still out. So we are, um, Karen is taking her place. So we are going to do a little complaining and some victories now. (laughs) And my trial this week would be the holidays are coming. I don't know when this one exactly airs, guys, but the holidays are coming and I, of course, anticipate all the decorating and talking about all the things that are out in the marketplace, too, and trying to pick what do I want to buy this year to kind of spruce up my season. I don't know what I have because all my Christmas is in storage. (laughs) Yeah. Far, far away from anything I've touched and or looked at in a year. So Mm -hmm. it is going to take some high level motivation to even get it out. So I'm... I don't know, do I just purchase all new and and trash whatever's in the storage and or do I put my lazy butt over there and figure out what I have before purchasing new things? I have a few questions. Okay. A few questions because I too have done this, not been in my home during Christmas Mm -hmm. and during a renovation. And I did not have the foresight to keep out my stockings or anything. Right. Of course. Same. Did you? No. Did you keep anything out? Nothing. Everything is in a storage. Okay. Okay. So here's what I did. And this may or may not be enough for you. Your kids are pretty young, so they're not going to like oh. be whining about mm-hmm. stuff. I literally went on the Ballard website and bought the least expensive stockings that we had mm-hmm. and had them all monogrammed because we give free monogramming. So that felt special. Everyone had their names. And oddly, like they're still the stockings that we use because we love them so much. I got the velvet. They're really great looking. And then I just got a live tree with a bunch of white lights and called that a day. Just like put so many white lights on it. You didn't even need an ornament. You could also get some ribbon kind of and wrap it in there, but yeah. I wouldn't go through the trouble of go easy and a wreath, go get a wreath, a live one. Yeah. You okay. Know, cool. Put draw, put some ribbon on it. Why does that sound so much? Again, my storage unit isn't that far away, but something about hauling the bins or like driving over there. I don't know why that seems like. No, that sounds far terrible. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you guys mm-hmm. are at the same level it's- with me. <laughs> It's going to be liberating. Well, You're going to be shocked. It's also like, <laughs> like, this is great. Yeah. And we don't have a ton of space. So like, I already feel like we are so cluttered that Christmas, you know, brings that extra layer, you know, of just stuff. And I'm like, I can't do mm-hmm. stuff, but I do want a Christmas tree. All right. That was my trial. And you guys saw. Yeah. It the me. tree is great. You have to have something to put your gifts under. That's up. Especially well, with we, kids. I, yeah. I mean, we still got to do it. I don't It's hard f- to give up a tree. Yes. And they're going to see it and be like, ma, we don't have a tree. So. <laughs> no, do, do a tree. Take some of his drawing. Say, take some of your kids' drawings and like put them up on the tree, like cut them out into circles. You're done. Okay, Liz, that was your effort. But <laughs> they're probably yes. going to come home from school and daycare with ornaments that they've made. 
you know they will, like hand print ornaments or something. Put those on there real low so they can see them. I will eat them <laughs> up completely. Absolutely. And so then my triumph would be that we are, um, I think I told you guys, we've been working with a custom cabinet guy on our built-ins for our home. And it's super exciting. It's a triumph because seeing the drawings is so fun and I enjoy it. But as you all know, I draw cabinets for a living. And so it's funny to talk to somebody who's speaking the same language, but also he manufactures them. He talks a lot more about the wood species. And I know a lot about that, but for me and what I do at Ballard, I don't technically, I don't pick the wood per se. And so even things Mm -hmm. like he was talking different finishes with me. And again, because he's building cabinets all day, so he knows, but we were just talking and I was like, can you put that in like, is it fluted or (laughs) anyway? And just because he's telling me he can do anything, it's also overwhelming because David doesn't care. He's like, okay, cool. It's like a shaker style. Uh-huh. And I'm like, but do we want a bead? Do we want a, do you want a diamond detail? Do you want to, do you want holes? What do we want to mesh in the center? What do we want? There's so many options. And I just, uh-huh. with being a designer, you, I get to play with these little details all day. And then mm-hmm. to like come to my own home and it be whatever I want. I was like, well, now I don't. Yeah. It's that yeah. and it's built it's in. So it doesn't feel like I can move it or like, I mean, yes, I can paint it for sure. Everybody can paint something like that. But if it's a built-in, it's going to take a lot for somebody to remove and redo. So how are you deciding? How are you getting past that? I I will say the good part is, is he, the designer, the builder we're working with just pretty much everything was super as basic as you can go, like very Mm -hmm. much started there. So he drew before we really got to talk dimensions and stuff. So now I'm going to be like, all right. What if we kind of play with some of the scale of the in, with the cabinet doors and the trim, the molding? But to your point, I don't know because I don't want to make it so crazy artistic that it doesn't age very well. Because right. you know, you walk into a '90s home, and you can usually see what a built-in looks in like versus now sure. too, and you sure. know the difference. So, how to again get that longevity, which we've talked about so many times on here and to talk to designers. And I know nothing is forever. I get that we will change our mind, but I want like a step up above the basic, but keeping it pretty basic, if that makes sense. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I've been talking to David about kind of some traditional details that we've seen throughout history that aren't overwhelming in the sense of, you know, do we put a diamond inset on the door? Kind of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it could be cheesy a period from now, but It's also diamonds have been around, you know, there's different motifs that have been around for a long time that like, if you see, you're not like, ew, that was 2020. So (laughs) it's true though, right? It's like absolutely taking to Mm -hmm. that traditional, what has been around forever motif wise, and then kind of creating that little bit of a detail, but keeping it. Yeah. So we'll see. I have a few different places that I can play with. So, and I kind of have an idea for what colors I'm doing all the cabinets. So that helps to kind of narrow down, like this room's a little more subdued and I kind of want them to like hide away versus like, Mm -hmm. this is a moment. Like statement. Yeah. Let's just make it a full statement. So our, like our bar area, I want to do the cabinets, this acid yellow. And Mm. so I'm, that's a statement. Like you're going to see them. Love it. And so maybe something there has a little more detail versus like the subtle ones in the living room or something like that. So TBD guys on that, I will keep you all posted and I'll keep my Instagram updated once I have something to show you guys. But right now we're just in drawing bill. So yeah, that's exciting. I love that you are doing bright yellow, acid yellow cabinets. That sounds so. Yeah. What color are you pairing with that? Like eggplant or teal or 
Peacock, what are you doing? I'm so um, instead of going staying in the same value or, or giving it a deep value, I'm going the opposite and I'm pairing it with something super light. I'm either going to go with a shade of light mauvey pink, like a dirty pink or mm-hmm. a lavender. I can't okay. decide if it's going to be like a pink lavender or if it should go more of the blue. I'm kind of torn and I'm looking at kind of pink chips right now, but he told me he can match whatever. So I'm like... Yeah, gonna. That's awesome. I exciting. It's that hit you, but then it's like really mellow and ladylike. So I don't. It's somewhere between those two. So TBD. Mm-hmm. I want wallpaper as well. So I haven't decided if I'm doing wallpaper with this like lavender or soft pink trim, and then the acid yellow cabinets in that room, or if I'm doing full wall with some paneling detail. And this Can't is your decide. dining room. Mm-hmm. But I wanted my dining I love room a to dramatic feel dining room. Dramatic. And then kitchen is going to be green. I think I've told y'all that before. I want to do my kitchen cabinets in olive green. And then living room, very base, like white light. Give that room a rest. So again, drama. And then hit you with some color. And then you can rest your eyes in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's it. That's my plan, guys. We'll see. And you know what? It's just paint. So you can always change it later when, you, when you're tired of it. No big deal. Right. And also, I feel like uh, I've had... Uh, strong visual on the kitchen and in the dining room and I don't on the living room. So I think I'm also, that's why I'm going to keep it basic. And then if I, something inspires me in the next few years, I can like paint it all, throw up Mm -hmm. the wallpaper, add whatever. So Mm -hmm. I can only digest so many rooms at a time. (laughs) No. Yeah. You're right. It's a lot. I don't know how designers do it. Can I talk about my Airbnb? Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. I know I talked about. You're living in an Airbnb for a month. Yeah, I'm living for two months, really. Two months, excuse me. I've got a month left-ish. This is over, y'all. This is a testament <laughs> to the fact that we all need to invest in our sofas because after I'm done working, that's where I want to really kind of be the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. resorted to bringing the outdoor cushions in and making like a nest on the floor in front of the sofa. It's ridiculous. Oh, terrible. So but you are the, sitting the on the floor The cushions on the now. floor are more comfortable than the sofa that literally you kind of just slide out of after an hour. <laughs> and I'm not a big girl. It's not, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I shouldn't be big enough to mush those cushions really anyway, in any direction. So it's surprising. Wow. Anyway, so I'm still complaining about that, but I'm going to get over it and move on as soon as I'm That is out. a bad one though. To your point, your sofa is like your most sat on thing. So you yeah. want to love it. Yeah. Yeah. What well, I'm telling y'all, Everyone in the world needs a comfortable sofa. And if you don't have one, stop torturing yourself. Go get one. <laughs> I mean, just get a low interest rate credit card and go get it if you don't have the cash. <laughs> Ballard has a great credit card with wonderful rewards. <laughs> oh my God. It just, it's just going to make getting back into your own house so much better. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. I'm going to so roll true. around on that sofa and revel in it. Okay. So my triumph, I think is, y'all tell me if this is bad, that I'm not, I'm going (laughs) to not host Thanksgiving dinner because I'm on the road and I'm going to be a guest. I'm going to go to my brother's and it's kind of like, I'm absolved of all responsibility during these two months. It's like the coolest thing ever. I'm just sort of like kind of freeing. Cause you usually host everyone and like do a big table (laughs) and everything. That's so great. I mean, it's kind of fun. I mean, you, it, y'all, it's the like this whole nomadic life is so weird because like even yesterday I was talking to my boss and he was like, oh, have you seen the blah, blah, blah catalog that came in the mail? I'm like, I don't get mail anymore, dude. 
Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, male, tell me more about this. Male, schmale, I don't have it. So it's kind of fun. Anyway, I think that's to your point, though, it, there's a uh, when you know you're doing something short term, even kind of like me, where I'm like, you know, this isn't a forever house. So how do I enjoy it? But also, do you make a different tradition because it's not your norm versus trying yeah. to like? Yeah. So I think that's kind of fun to well, like no, with it. not hosting this year. Are, are your sons coming to your brother's house? One of them is. So Jacob uh-huh. is in college. He is. And my other one, I literally just got off the phone with him trying to convince him that he should come down and cram into our two bedroom condo for the week because we're going to be at like, the beach. Absolutely. Oh, He's like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm like, I'll pay for your ticket. So that always helps. So we'll see. Bribery. <laughs> bribery. Oh yeah. I, I having two sons now, imagine I will, I need to start saving so I can bribe them <laughs> to be, be with me. Too, so. Absolutely. <laughs> i'm right, on the opposite end of that spectrum <laughs> that's all yeah, yeah right you now it's like it. go yeah. but i will be like come back <laughs> i miss you <laughs> all right liz your turn well so so much of my house is in like dream phase right we love it everybody loves that phase mm-hmm. yeah and i'm you know doing mood boards and everything and so now i'm putting my focuses outside and it's fall at the time of this recording and so it's kind of that beautiful, like all the mm. trees are golden, but mm. I'm, I'm so ready to start planning for planting in the spring already. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so this weekend we put up a little pop-up greenhouse cool. so that I can preserve all my plants. That's fun. And it, but these are outdoor like, plants that you had around the yard or something? Yeah. So these are my, my outdoor plants that just need a little shelter. Mm-hmm. So we've got a pop-up greenhouse, which is awesome. But then it's got me dreaming about like, well, maybe mm. I want a real greenhouse back there because I've got I've got some space in the backyard. Love it. Well, on the greenhouse topic, I mm-hmm. will say we are um, we have one in our long-term plan too, in our back kind of right corner of our backyard uh, to do one because we think it would be cool too to have a little greenhouse. And David loves the idea, so. TBD. So I want to hear about yours. I think you should definitely do one. And then yeah, I can learn I've, from I've been stalking somebody on Instagram that I found that did a DIY Ooh, greenhouse yeah. with like reclaimed windows. Fine. And yeah, so I found this person on Instagram and they just live on the other side of town. So oh. yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm stalking her. Yeah. I think I you would. need to message her and go over and see it and talk to her and then report back. Yeah. Well. I will. Oh no, I've already I've oh. already messaged her like a few times. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So did you have to get permits? So what? Where'd you get the windows? Okay. Like, where'd you? Like, yeah. So you've started. So all the windows oh. are from like Facebook Marketplace, and she and her husband DIY'd this whole thing. Very cool. That is so cool. Oh my gosh! So, keep us posted then. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to keep on you because one. I think that's going to be a project for next summer. I love that. I really want to do that. As an aside, Natalie Nassar has a greenhouse. Oh, yeah. uh, remember Natalie? She used to yeah. work at Ballard. She's a photo stylist. She has a, a great Instagram. I encourage all of you to follow it. She has three beautiful daughters and a beautiful house, a great style. And she has a, um, a greenhouse on the side of her house for plants and stuff, which is really cool. So check it out on her Instagram. I'll try to. Yeah. I want to reach out to her anyway. Yeah, she's she's, so fun. she's wonderful. Okay, was that a trial or a triumph? Because it feels very triumphy. Yeah, is it triumphy? I, I mean, but you have a pop-up greenhouse. Holding. I love it. It's just I don't know how that's a trial. Mm, 
you know. But well, you're keeping your plants alive. That's good. I'm keeping the plants alive. And you're already, mm-hmm. I mean, you are ahead already thinking about next spring. I have not made it there. Well, so the other person that I've been stalking is a neighbor of mine who I like their front yard. And drive-by stalking or like knocking on the door stalking. <laughs> No, no, I, I found them online and I reached out. Ooh. It turns out that she's a, a landscape architect, ah. mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. why her yard looks so amazing. So she drew up plans for my front yard. Nice. And so we're going to awesome. do kind of an English garden in front um, of our craftsman house. So oh, that right. sounds like a triumph too. I'm not really yeah. hearing any trials triumphing? today. I don't hear any downsides in any of this. Yeah. Yes, you are coming up with an amazing landscape plan, plan all mm-hmm. over the, all over the board. I'm just in dream phase. And so like, like it's just it's just I painful like it. that I can't get it going right now. Well, well you still have to save your money. That's how you get it going. True. And then yes. in the spring, you go buy all those expensive plants. And yeah. you've got to enjoy every part of the process. I know what I meant for in the spring. Yeah. I mean, this is fun. The plans is, your, is fun. Yeah, it's it fine. is fun. The plans is fine. Is your yard shady or is it sunny in the front? It's shady in the back, mm-hmm. but we get a lot of good morning sun in the front. Mm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you East get to have different sun. plants too based on that, mm-hmm. right? So that's yeah, fantastic absolutely. as well. Yeah. So I definitely want to do cutting gardens and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. In my head, it's like five years, 10 years in, and it's all blooming and wild and crazy. Uh. But yeah. And you find me in the backyard just snipping away. It's all scrub and like crazy back there. I planted those dahlias. I planted azaleas and dahlias. I feel like I told you all this a thousand years ago when I was still a member of podcast. And for cutting, first of all, my azaleas didn't bloom yet. Not azaleas. What are they called? Those peonies. Peonies. Peonies didn't bloom this year. I think they're supposed to take more than a year. Um, They seem happy, but didn't bloom. And then my dahlias came up, you know, there's fallish sort of flowers. They were so tall. I had to stake them all. Like they were flopping yeah. over and dying. Like we went on a trip and we came back and they were like laying all over, kind of like rotting in the mm. bed. And so they're harder That's than they look. <laughs> yeah, we need it. Than it looks. I want to throw somebody. some seeds out and have a beautiful, like you said, mm-hmm. cutting garden that lasts for months. It doesn't really work that way. Yeah, I can't <laughs> do that. I'm, I'm going to have to do raised beds everywhere in the backyard mm. because I did try to dig up some dirt and here's a trial. It's all coal clinkers in the back of my What's yard. So there is a steam furnace in my basement. Mm-hmm. It's this wonderful big thing from 1930 that is covered in asbestos. It's wonderful. Great. And it's got a coal bin still with some coal in it. So they, <gasps> the coal deposits would just kind of form into these big like rock clinkers. And so then instead of actually dealing with it, they threw it in the backyard where I want to plant. Okay, I have an idea. Oh, no. Go look at Ina Garten's backyard. You know, we're all like obsessed with Ina. Yeah. So her backyard, the scale of it's ridiculous, of course, but there's good applications in it because she has all these raised beds all over. A lot of them are for vegetables and herbs and stuff, but you could do whatever you wanted. But the way that she sort of lays it out and she has gravel and then she has boxwood and she has trees and all this stuff, it really makes this lovely kind of inviting garden that you sort of, you kind of wander around. There's places to sit and enjoy the venue, but there's also, it's also a very practical growing garden. So check it out. It's really pretty. Okay. Google it. You'll see it. Will do. 
It was Grace recently featured in, in some like architectural dodge or something. I don't know. You'll find it online. <laughs> I also will. Yes. Good idea. <laughs> Should we get to our guest now? <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Good plan. <laughs> Okay, so we are so excited to be back today for episode two of our Building a House series. And of course, as promised, we have an architect on the show with us today. His name is Kevin Clark, and he is a principal at one of our favorite architecture firms here in Atlanta, Historical Concepts. You may remember some of our conversations with Andrew Kogar in the past, but Kevin has been at the firm for 20 years. Is that right? I mean, that's what it says on the website. It's, so. it's probably <laughs> yeah. close to 19 full time. <laughs> So I know that you'll have tons of amazing nuggets. We're excited to pick your brain and chat with you about the whole process from start to finish of building a house and all that we require from architects to help us get that process going. And then, of course, we have Maggie Griffin here of Maggie Griffin Design. She is our little in-house expert. And between her and Taryn, they're asking all the good questions because they are both in the process of building a house. So let's get started. Why don't you yeah. tell everybody a little bit about your project? Yeah, just to get started. Sure. So my wife and I have a great little house in Virginia Highland neighborhood of Atlanta. And I guess we've been there for about seven years and decided to add on to it a bit. I'm actually staying within the footprint of the house, just sort of reconfiguring some of the interior rooms. So going to get myself a brand new kitchen and family room kind of kids room, pantry, a scullery, a butlery, sort of all mm. the back out stuff just to really make things function well for us is is uh, is really a game changer, I think, for, for how we live. The house was opened up, kind of quote unquote opened up about 20 years ago. And we're actually kind of going back to like close it down a little bit. So actually creating a little more separation of space, which I know the trend has always been to sort of open things. We're really valuing sort of own spaces and contained spaces. And then we're blowing it out in the backyard. We have a really unique deep lot because it's a house that was built in 1935. It doesn't have a garage. So we're actually creating a carriage house in the back, which is going to have a great in-law suite on the second floor. And then we're putting a pool in between the two because we have two young kids who are begging for a dog. And I was like, no, but I'll give you a pool. <laughs> uh, I don't know which one. I know, uh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting trade-off. No, at least, we, at least you get to benefit from the pool. Yeah. I'll probably have to get a dog too. My kid, <laughs> and be, a dog yeah, for the pool, right. then a float for the dog on the pool. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> you, you sound like you know what I'm talking about. What? When did you start this idea of changing around the rooms? Yes. Years. So, no. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, really, decision? when I no, this was like when I bought the house. I'm an architect, okay. right? I, I, you buy an old house, <laughs> and you're like, I think we we're probably going to start changing things right away. Thankfully, my wife is a saint and knew what she was getting into. We dipped our toe in the water a couple of years ago. Well, actually, even before we moved into the house, redid the master suite. And then a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, I, wouldn't it be really nice? My wife works from home. So I was like, why don't we give you a really nice home office? You should have like a really luxurious place to work. And so she let me design that. And it's a beautiful sort of blue room. We got a great color from Benjamin Moore and had some custom built-in bookshelves and desks. 
and it's sort of our adult room because the kids took over the rest of the house. Um, <laughs> and so now we're just slowly moving from that room. We're sort of making more adult spaces as we go. But that office, I think, was sort of the tipping point for her and me to see that we could really have some really nice spaces that worked really well for our family. And so making these spaces that are custom, right, really unique for you. I mean, this is sort of the concept of, of the dream house is it's really your dream house, as I mentioned to you, Taryn. Um, it's not just sort of anybody's house, but it really becomes right. sort of yours, special to you. Well, I'm sure that uh, that home office really came in handy the last year and a half, huh? <laughs> it did. She, yeah, it, Lynn was kind of wondering what all the fuss was about. She's like, I've been working from home for seven years. Everybody's doing this. What? <laughs> what's, the pro- what's the problem? She's like, don't you love the commute? I don't understand. <laughs> Dress um, code, the commute. Yeah, great. <laughs> It did come in handy, but that carriage house in the back may be a second home office when it's not being used as an in-law suite. That's smart, too. And away. Longer commute for her, but maybe she can... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's your. Oh, yours. Oh, I see. Even smarter. I like it. Okay. We want to build our dream home. And how do we pick the right architect? I think, and Taryn, you might have said this earlier. I think it's personality fit. I mean, I think that really, obviously, their scope and their style for sure. But I think far and away, personality, sort of get to know the person that you're about ready to sort of embark on this journey with before you really take it so far. I will often tell folks that I like to sort of date before we get married as we're really getting to know each other in that early going. And just those initial conversations and interviews is almost a two-way street as we look at it, making sure that we have the right fit for what the client couple is after. And of course, that we're able to we're able to provide them what, what they want. And that I think they, what they are looking for is something that we can do and do well. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that answered it, but I think it's I, I think it's <laughs> totally. got to be no, it's totally. got to be personality. And you know, as I said, folks will go to websites. Obviously, you'll look at portfolios. Mm-hmm. I think if you if you see quality and attention to detail, and that's something obviously that you aspire to in, in your dream house, I think style can kind of come secondary to that. If you pick a website and you say everything on that website is exactly what I would want. Obviously, it's sort of hard not to not to gravitate towards that particular designer. Mm-hmm. But I think if you also recognize that that may limit potentially that that designer architect sort of may only have that range and may be harder when you bring up a personal thing or, or, or a, a inspiration that doesn't necessarily fit within that. So I think when you look at how far or close you want to be to a range of design styles and characters. I think you can kind of choose an architect maybe based on what their range is as well. But I've had folks come to our website and talk to me afterwards and say, I just didn't see exactly what I was looking for. And I said, well, that's great because we haven't designed your house yet. You shouldn't be able to see exactly what you're looking for on our website. And yeah. Cause then why would you build your own house? That's right. Like, <laughs> that's right. Buy one. Which is totally an option. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's such an interesting response. And, and we do get this response a lot, even from designers. And it makes a lot of sense because you're going to be talking with this person nonstop for what, probably 18 months, two years. And it's not really a factor. I don't think you'd consider in most of the times you hire someone like, do you care if your lawn guy is like easy to, to chat with? Or like, is that how you hire your, your surgeon? No. But I do feel like it, 
it makes sense. No, it totally does. Maggie's laughing at me. So <laughs> no, it's such a good point. I mean, that is a much more communicative relationship with the architect that would last to me years, kind of making sure that that vision is brought to life, like in such detail. Absolutely. Well, and I think when you're talking about a dream house, that's a different scale than just sort of your next house. Or even just, I mean, on, you know, for a, a des- from a designer standpoint, like really just like a room. Like, hey, right. we're going to do this kid's room. Okay, well, the kid's going to grow up. That's going to that's gonna change. You can repaint. You can replant bushes in the yard. But structures, hopefully, are pretty permanent. And so I think when you're investing in something that is truly your dream house and you want it to be really personal, I mean, oh, my gosh, you've got to, like, double down on the investment and in the communication and the personality fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what should someone do before they come and have, you know, or, okay, you've dated, you've had your conversations. They, I know that I want to hire you. What do I need to put together and like come to the table with? You're ready. You You're ready have, for a committed relationship, Caroline? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. We're having she the is going to relationship her conversation. <laughs> the DTR. Yes. The DTR. <laughs> Usually yes. we pick a nice restaurant. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, no, <laughs> well, I think every project that we engage in starts with a handful of things. The site is is key, obviously, and tree and topography for the site is also key. That every dream house and every new house is really a reflection of the owners that are there and the site where it is. You know, it's the it's the region, it's the locale. It's the views, it's the sun, it's the trees, it's the slope. Every house, even the same house, would be different on two totally different lots or should be. And certainly the same house, every four-bedroom house in North Carolina mountains is going to be different than one on the beach in Florida. They should be, as custom homes, a reflection of of the site and then certainly a reflection of the, the couple and the individuals. So in that regard, we start every project with with the site. Tree and Topo is key images, inspiration images. And they can be as specific as, oh my gosh, I saw this from a magazine and I just absolutely love that light fixture. And and it's okay to be that detailed even early on to as broad or as vague as, you know, I was in this bar in Paris and I just had a great memory from it. And I just loved the feeling of it. And even if it's not the right color or the furniture isn't right, just the feeling and the vibe that you can get from explaining it in an image is something that we sort of take in and can understand what are the pieces and elements of that experience that we could translate to your breakfast room or your dining room or whatever it happened to be. And then we dive into, so this isn't necessarily prep work that you need to do, but we start everything uh, with an really an interview. We want to understand your lifestyle. And even though you have never lived in this house before, you haven't, you haven't been there yet, this is even before we're starting to draw, we just want to understand, obviously, sort of the nuts and bolts of, of how you live and your family and kids and parents and where everybody lives relative to you and sort of thinking about how your house will be lived in. We want you to sort of close your eyes and envision walking into your house. And are you walking through the front door? Or are you walking through the mudroom? Do you take off your shoes when you walk in the house? Do you have sort of a drop zone where you want your purse to set 
Or do you come right in with groceries every day? Or do you get them delivered by Instacart, like most people? <laughs> and and let's you know let's re- sort of really think through that process. And again, this is before any drawings are taking place. It's really just sort of diving into some of those sort of basic character things that make you you and sort of your family and your life experience something that we can frame the house around. And then some of it is is sort of the nuts and bolts of who's going to be using the spaces. And we can think beyond just the today set of, of circumstances where, you know, I've got a six and an eight-year-old, and right now I can sort of only think of them as six and eight. But thankfully, because of my job, I see that kids grow, and they don't always stay at that same age, and I don't always have Lego in every room of the house for the next 30 or 40 years. And so we can help. I don't know that. Well, <laughs> well I might. I bet you'll continue to find Legos. <laughs> I would, for a decade. <laughs> oh, but the it happened for 20 some odd years before, yes. 30 years before I had kids. So you're right. <laughs> That's, see, I knew it. But some of those sort of family things that just come up in circumstance, I, and some of this is just lessons learned. I, early project I had, finished the house, a great couple. She told me that her guests were staying too long. This was after we did the house. She said, Kevin, <laughs> you made the guest rooms too nice. And they're staying too long. And it's true. We made walk-in closets for the guests. She wanted them there for like a weekend, three days max, she told me afterwards. And so now we designed guest rooms based on how long you want that guest to stay. (laughs) That is great. I have more questions. Like what details make them stay longer? What details make them stay longer? Do you like your guests? Do you like your Mm -hmm. in-laws? But I feel like that varies, right? Who the guest is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it absolutely. So you need multiple guest rooms. The guest rooms are the people you don't like, and you want them to leave early with the with the uncomfortable mattress, and then Mm -hmm. the ones that are really Mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah, that's more of a baggy thing on the mattress. (laughs) (laughs) We'll blame her. But for even children, again, that's a perfect example. And you know, for me, my kids are very young, so it it, it's hard to think about. Well, how are they going to use this room in the next fifteen, eighteen years? Mm -hmm. What did I forget to do? Well, one is I would say build in the flexibility of what that room will always be, right? Because it is the kid's room now. And so you, if you just design it for the perfect shape and size and use for a nursery, you wouldn't have a big closet. Right. And also, if you only design it for a guest room, you may also limit it to sort of like that weekend guest. So I think you build in flexibility, but you also really make sure that, and, and perhaps I would say the balance of sort of the wish list that you have as, as, a, as a homeowner is sort of intermixed, I think, with our experience of how can we think about this house in your total life cycle. And so if mm-hmm. it's kids today, soon it's it's going to be you, you hope they come back from college and or during college, I should say, then you really don't want them to come back after college <laughs> is what I understand. And then eventually <laughs> they come back with somebody else. And then maybe there's even more of them around. And their grandkids. Yeah, I know. It just apparently like just keeps happening. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like so, the house literally has to like flex in and out and in and out over time. That's right. And so I think you make, you know, you make the sort of public and shared spaces work really great for the sort of nine out of 10 use, right? You make, you make it work perfect for the two of you or the four of you or sort of whatever your nuclear group is. And then the other spaces are the ones that sort of can flex and flow. But if you know that you've got, Taryn, you've got a couple of kids, I've got a couple of kids. I mean, I know I'm always going to have some extra rooms. It's not just going to be me and my wife, even though 
you know, maybe someday we'll, it will just be us in the house. Mm-hmm. But those extra rooms, I think, have that flexibility to, to grow. What doesn't work is when you sort of count on those secondary spaces for other uses like, oh, well, the kids are going to be gone. So I'll just make that the craft room or I'll make that my home mm-hmm. office. And then I think you may be sort of boxing yourself out of other dreams in the future where right. you want those grandkids to come back and stay with you. So, you know, thinking that far in advance is really difficult when you're somebody like me who's got young kids. There's a lot of, oh gosh, I mean, just sort of psychoanalysts isn't the right, isn't the right term, but, you know, I mean, really just sort of a lot of, of life that you're having to think about when you, mm-hmm. when you take the time to invest in, in a dream house. It's, it's not, it shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be scary. exercise in, in learning about yourself. It seems like it, 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 it is, but also that's what I say is it shouldn't, it really shouldn't be scary because we're all unique, but we're also all sort of the same in a lot of ways, <laughs> right? So we sort of all need the same basics. And so I think yeah. it doesn't have to be so, so specific that you're going to design your room for your son who's going to be six foot four because you know that your husband is six three and generations of them you know have have grown one inch since then it's not it's really not that specific that was like was it frank lloyd wright always designed shorter doors because he was short (laughs) you can't be that specific (laughs) it's the balance of reality there goes all my short doors (laughs) i did my ceilings at seven foot because we're real short we're just like living in a cave and that can be okay (laughs) we have we have done like taller counters Uh, yeah yeah we had a woman who was we had a woman who was six three and so please yeah so her island was like four inches taller it was just much more comfortable to prep food on it works. Makes sense. I'm having the the opposite problem right now. I feel like I have to stand on my tiptoes to wash my face in the sink. But yeah. well, you know, you know, I need a, I need a stool. Basically, <laughs> you just need I a stool. Yeah, like my I bet you guys How? carry some of those. Do you? Oh yeah, you I do. You're right. Like I, I, I need a, I need a, a place that sells them. If only you knew a catalog. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I need to find a. Um, okay, my question, kind of to your, you know how again we and Maggie probably gets this too. Is everybody's like, oh, I want it to be classic and last forever. Well, nothing, no stylistically. You you evolve. We all evolve. We all change. We all age. We, but. With architecture, it feels, when I say that, I I mean, just what people traditionally would think of architecture, it scares people more because it's just, I think there's, there's a price to it. And so moving a wall is a huge deal, it feels like, where painting a room or painting your cabinets might feel a little less to people. How often do you find people are kind of reconfiguring their space and using, to your level, to using an architect and, yeah. You mean like doing renovations or hiring yes. an architect for renovations? Well, is certainly that is is very common. Uh, I would say a lot of the renovation projects that we do, we found that it's typically a, a an older home. We'll, we do a lot of work on historic homes that have been sort of poorly added onto over time, and so mm-hmm. it's not atypical for us to sort of take off mistakes from the seventies. The seventies was just a bad. A bad decade. I'm from the 70s, but I was a bad decade. Besides <laughs> that, <laughs> for architecture, um, and so it's definitely not uncommon when you're talking about sort of a whole house renovation. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're talking about shifting a wall, sort of a kitchen bath renovation, those are typically things that are 
that I find more frequently are handled with just a designer, maybe a design builder, but maybe less so on, on the architecture side of things. And again, that's maybe our general. Yeah. Our, our general scope is people's dream homes. And so when people are looking for a dream home, it tends to be ground up or a, a whole house renovation. It's pretty rare that you find something on the market that you would just say, oh my gosh, this is just fantastic and I wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I want to back up just a little bit because I'm curious if you could kind of talk people through the financial investment of the process of having an architect, maybe some sort of ways that you can get help from an architect, like some options that maybe you have if you're hiring someone. In terms of like the total construction build or just how like architectural fee structure, what, what's the... I know some architects will kind of, they'll come to your site like multiple times throughout the construction process and make sure it's all being built to plan. Sometimes maybe they'll just give you some plans and then it's up to your to you mm-hmm. and the builder to make sure it's built or just different ways that maybe you could, if you know, going into it, like, okay, I want to hire an architect, but I'm, you know, my budget is limited in these ways. Like how can you get good advice and good help in some more flexible Sure. No, I, it's a, a, I think a valuable question. And I think a couple of things I would say with, with that one is at the end of the day, you're really sort of looking at sort of total project cost and where do you put the value of mm-hmm. project cost or sort of that total budget number that that's out there. And it's not just the hard costs. It's all the decisions that go into sort of making, making it to that level. We absolutely find that the approach that we take and, and that we love and value is the sort of all-in approach. We start from scratch with a blank piece of paper and your hopes and dreams and and design those sort of soup to nuts to get them to be exactly what, what you're looking for, this sort of bespoke home that is yours. And the time that that takes is is a substantial investment because we're trying to answer as many questions as possible when it is just a pencil and paper as opposed to a two by four and bricks because we know that it's a lot easier <laughs> to use an eraser than it is mm-hmm. a sledgehammer. And so if we can answer all those questions early on and and sort of throughout the design process, when you get to construction, it can be really pretty seamless because you've made the tough decisions at a time that although it might have felt like a long time, at the time that you're constructing, you're, you're, everybody has the map and the mm-hmm. directions and the guideposts. And I mean, sometimes I kind of say we, we produce almost like a paint by number set where everybody knows what, what they're doing. I've, I've had in the framing phase of, of most of our projects, the builder will laminate the interior elevations for all the rooms that we've done. And they'll put them on the studs of, of the interior walls and again, it's just sort of that guidepost that the electrician that comes in knows that eventually this is where the panels are going to go and this is how wide that mantelpiece is going to be. And so he knows he's not going to run his wires in the place where the trim is showing that obviously we can't have an outlet. We've got the mantle there or make sure that we've got seven inch casing. So put that switch 10 inches away from the door opening, even though it's just a rough stud today, we've got that guidepost for, for where it is mm-hmm. in the future. So that's obviously that's sort of the soup to nuts version. And, and I would say sort of the, maybe the, perhaps the sort of most custom version that you can have. You beyond that, any scale back, I would say is there's no there are no fewer decisions that need to be made. 
if you're really doing something from scratch, a, a, a true custom house, there are probably a million decisions. I, and I'm not exaggerating with that. There are probably a million decisions that would be made in a new house, a new design, which is totally scary, but it's not that, it's not that daunting. <laughs> Did a million sound like a lot? <laughs> if you've got the right team, it sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to make them all yourself. But that's what I say is that level of investment mm-hmm. in time and obviously cost is that someone is going to make those decisions. And it's sort of like who and when will those decisions be made is all sort of part of the factoring in. So there are ways to truncate those decisions. You can buy a set of stock plans, right? That's really easy. And obviously, there's sort of this leveling of customization or standardization mm-hmm. that comes with with all those triggers that you're pulling. And so, if you want sort of the totally custom house, mm-hmm. you're you're going on one path. If you want something that's sort of semi-custom, hey, let's start with a builder. You know, let's start with a stock plan, or maybe we maybe we look for more of a builder set. It's a custom house. It's in, in the sense of it's from scratch, but maybe it's not, maybe somebody's not doing all the interior elevations. Maybe not, somebody's not doing all the layout. Maybe they're not doing all the exterior details. Totally fine. Those details and decisions still need to be made. And you just decide sort of who's going to make those decisions based on, I think, the investment that you want to make. Mm-hmm. And so when folks come to us and they sort of say, well, what are all the options? And I, I think, Caroline, that was sort of your question is, where do we save or sort of how do we how do we think about this? Those are the questions that I tend to ask back to them is sort of like, tell me where you want your focus and priorities to be. Because if your priorities is having something that is uniquely suited for, for you, then obviously our process works works really well. And especially if you also have the time and the patience and, and the investment in, in terms of capital and, and time to go through that process. But if those things are, if there's some of those things that are less important to you, or, or perhaps, you know, for example, time is more important to you than maybe uh, consistency of detail, or the customization maybe is less important to you than, than something that's more standard or stock. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot of triggers that you can pull there on the overall cost. We here on the show, obviously, have huge respect for architects and designers and in every case are going to say that you need one but having people hear from you and from other designers and about like why that investment is important is important just because there are a lot of people out there that might kind of suggest they they don't need you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we think oh, we do. And, and they don't. And they don't. I mean, you know, that's. I think that's the thing is you don't. You don't necessarily need an architect. You don't necessarily need a designer. But decisions will need to be made mm-hmm. at some point. And so th- that's why I say is you. You either are hiring sort of the an expert to help guide those decisions and control those decisions, or you may be relying on the trim carpenter in the field who may be super talented. And have a phenomenal level of quality, but perhaps may not necessarily know you or the style maybe as, as well, that mm-hmm. the decisions they make are, are just maybe the decisions that they made on the previous five or six or mm-hmm. 10 houses that they've done, which could be, which could totally be fine. And that's why I say is I, I think there's just sort of a level of how, how much value you put on those, that decision making process yeah. to mm-hmm. decide sort of where you where you want to go, where you want to invest. Right. So we, we tell- can give 500,000 questions or decisions to Maggie, 5, or 500,000 to you, and then we can be <laughs> hands off. 
Hands off. Is that right? Sorry, Maggie, I cut you off. No, you're fine. It, yeah, I'm not, not totally hands off. I think there are probably some architects. <laughs> there are probably some architects that you could be hands off with. And that's definitely another approach too, right? Hey, just give me one of your standard five bedroom houses that I love. I'll see you in a few years when it's done. Obviously, the more personal the house is to you, the more time that we are really going to value with you to mm-hmm. pull that out from you. And that it's not just going to be an office, but it's going to be an office that works especially you know, for you and your situation. Or it's not just going to be any generic kitchen. It's going to be the kitchen that is how you live and how you want to live. And if you're left-handed and you really like your dishwasher on the left-hand side, then we're going to put your dishwasher on the left-hand side. And that's kind of maybe silly and you might be right-handed and have the dishwasher on the left-hand side too. But those are sort of the, the, the custom things that I think you can work out to make it fit seamlessly. You want your house, your dream house, you want it to fit you like a glove. It's like a custom suit or, or custom clothes. I mean, I know you get a great suit from Sid Mashburn on the West side and it fits me su- substantially better than the ones that I just bought off the rack at any other store. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also cost me a little more. but i feel great in it it's yeah that's that's what that's right that's what a dream house should feel like Mm -hmm. i wonder how much your site can though like because you're talking about getting a sort of like a house plan or something like that and i wonder how a unique site could kind of change that because we sort of touched on on your site and site plans and i think maggie we talked about this as well depending on like are you on a hill? Are you at the bottom of a hill? Like, And could that, depending on your site, sort of complicate what you're able to build? Like, say it's not level or something like that. And you can't just pick up a house plan from somewhere that it's already existing. I think like like anything, there's, there's always the opportunity for customization. And there's probably always the opportunity for more standardization or stock options. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, sort of on almost everything, right? I mean, that can be from materials to moldings to furniture, and it can be on on the stock plans as well. Taking a flat plan and putting it on a slope site, chances are a a builder, structural engineer could probably handle most of that because it's not that complicated, I think. What isn't, you know, I think what you lose with the stock plan because you have a very specific site, is some of that site customization, right? Your site is going to have unique views. It's going to have unique sun angles. And it's going to have unique tree cover. And no other site is going to have exactly identical circumstance. So as you contemplate a dream house, and let's say, Caroline, you're somebody who loves to sleep in. I can tell just that's that's you. You like to get up at 10 in the morning. (laughs) You know, depending upon your site, and sort of a, a stock plan that you were to buy in this hypothetical situation, it may have the master suite on the east side and you've got light streaming into your bedroom when you're trying to sleep in because you live this luxurious lifestyle and not having to get up until 10. It's wonderful. But now you've got light coming into your bedroom. So I think that's where the opportunity for customization and not that you couldn't take a plan and, and tweak it, maybe start with it from, from an inspiration standpoint. But that opportunity for a from scratch is, is really such a unique experience that, that if, if it is something that you're looking at a 30 or 40 or 50 year home or something that you're going to hand down to future generations, you start to look at costs 
a little differently. It's not like a return on investment anymore that you're looking at. Mm -hmm. You're really looking at uh, quality of life versus sort of a cost. Yeah. I wonder what, how y'all feel about this, but I feel I, I often think about this with even just with interior design, but like if you do it the right way, then it seems to me like it's a such a good investment because you then don't have to do it again. If you really make your home what you want to live in, then you're not going to have to buy a bigger house. You're not going to have to move or add on because you've, you've done it right the first time. It's, it's sort of like you're in, investing in like permanence, I guess. I think it was like Miles Red. Was to, does he have that quote? It was like, cry once oh, or, yeah. or <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. going to butcher the quote, but whatever. One of you guys should say it because I know it. I know it's out there. Yeah, buy the best and you only cry once. Or Thank something. you. Yeah, something, something along those lines. Something along those lines. <laughs> no, it's, so, it's totally true. And that's why, I mean, we have, obviously, we're very fortunate to work with those folks that are, like, willing to invest and see that sort of long, long game. It's like, mm -hmm. it's such a unique opportunity to be able to do your dream home from scratch. That's why I say, it, really, even though it's maybe a million decisions, it shouldn't be daunting. It should really be a lot of fun. Right. I mean, this is something that you're putting together for, for you, for your family for a long, long time. So the other thing I would say is it it should come with patience. Right. It, it's not like this quick. Oh, my gosh, we've got to we've got to get to, we have to be in by next February because uh, that's when uh, my husband turns 50. And if we don't have it done by then, forget it. We might as well just not even do the project. I think there's I think there's there's a balance there of recognizing the. In investment and opportunity with sort of the the long return. What about specialists in terms of like, do you need a kitchen designer? Do you need a lighting designer? Like, I think these are sort of like specialty. And like Maggie, I'm curious both of y'all's opinions on this because I feel like those are and like exterior lighting, those types of things. Are those things that you're going to get answers from an interior designer and an architect or are those things that you're going to have to have someone else help with as well? We work with specialists on pretty much all of our new builds, but that's not to say that a lot of our architectural plans haven't already gotten that kind of ball rolling and started. If there's a, a kitchen layout, typically what I tell my clients is if you've already, you loved that last 48 inch wide sub-zero at your last house and that's a definite you want in your new home, go ahead and tell those things to the architect during the conceptual phase so that that can all be included. So hopefully you've at least gotten the ball rolling on the layout and the detail work. We have clients who are very much into, let's have some open shelving by the sink. Let's definitely have a pair of dishwashers, all those things. So I think that's super duper helpful just to go ahead and get started. So it is in that big set of construction drawings. And then from there, depending on who the cabinet company is, they usually take it from there and then start plugging in detail work, fret work on front of cabinets. Are we using glass? Are we using chicken wire? Are we using metal grate? All of those things to make it even more personalized beyond what Kevin is talking about. So that to me is really important. Of course, the kitchen, the butler's pantry, the secondary kitchen spaces, and the master bathroom are going to trump a lot of the secondary bathrooms over the course of the project. But I do think it's important to go ahead and think about details that you 100% want because it does depend on your layout and your um, original set of drawings. Now, bathroom design, usually that's a little bit more contingent on this is just kind of how we're recommending doing that. And to me, it's very much in a master suite role. So it's kind of 
do they want his and hers closets? Do we need two water closets or do we need separate vanities or do they want a combined vanity? Those things seem to be more or less predetermined. And then you can add in detail work. So if you want to mold out the whole bathroom, are we doing steam shower? Are we doing heated floors? Are we doing wallpaper? Those things seem to be a little easier to hammer out. Exterior lighting, most of the plans that run across our desk already have that started as far as that the lights that are attached to the house. And then, of course, most of the time we're dealing with gas fixtures. And then that is then included in a landscape plan as well. So building off of the exterior materials that the architect has already kind of seen and provided and then incorporating those elsewhere on the property, I think is a very collaborative way to do it and kind of engages all of the separate sort of specialists on the project. That's a that's a really key point, Maggie. And I think that that last word you said or that last phrase you said was collaboration. And to me, that's really the key at, at the earliest moment possible in the project is get get the design team sort of your full team on board and engaged and for us that's that's the architect the interior designer the landscape architect and and it's not uncommon for the builder to be on board early on as well Uh, really just sort of get the whole team on board we're all sort of supporting the project that will eventually come to fruition and i find that even in shared meetings we all sort of listen with different ears. You know, the interior designer is sort of hearing one thing with, with the filter and, and, and understanding uh, that they're thinking about in terms of colors and furniture and lighting. And you know, we're is sort of maybe both equally thinking about space planning and details on the interiors. And then we're also kind of layering in form and function and maybe some more kind of technical aspects as well. I find that the specialization, as, as many say, the specialists of like kitchen and lighting or, or bathroom or exterior lighting is maybe less important when you have that re- like cohesive team from the beginning. However, there are folks that just, if you want, if you know that you want all the bells and whistles in the kitchen, then you go find somebody who's going to be able to explain to you what every whistle and bell looks like and, and and what the benefit of them are. And that's where I think you can feather in those folk to the process very easily and seamlessly, but don't wait until the end. Make sure you ask those questions from, from the beginning early, early on. And then it's, it's so much easier to, again, put in a 48-inch Sub-Zero, again, with a pencil and paper than it is sort of after the fact, oh my gosh, I forgot to realize that I really need wall ovens. Well, that's you know, that's three more feet in the kitchen that we didn't plan for. Let's bake that into the beginning. Let's have that conversation and get it right in, in, in concept and schematic. Mm-hmm. How many versions would you say is normal when you're drawing plans? Yeah, how many months of back and forth is normal? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, what's the time frame? If that's better than versions. What I would say is, again, and I'm sure everybody does it a little differently, there sort of are always design tweaks happening the design always gets better sort of after every iteration that is totally normal what i would say probably isn't and and maybe sort of a red flag if you're not on the right page is if you've engaged an architect you're working with them and the first thing they show you isn't anywhere close to what you envisioned to be and then the second thing also isn't close at that point what i would say just like everything it's really communication right it's it's not that those probably aren't great designs because if you've made it to the point where you've hired an architect, chances are they're quality and talented and they can design really great houses. So it's just not that they just haven't gotten your house 
yet. And, and I, I, I would assume that that's because of communication. So what I would say is the iterations or options, those are probably, are probably sort of tighter down. It's what we find is in the first month, we are throwing every possible idea on the wall to ask the question and almost sort of vet that the, that the answer we're going to come to is the right one. And we feel like for us anyway, the best way to do that is to kind of kick around as many ideas as possible early on. Just be loose with it. Hey, we've got this house. We want a four-bedroom house, and this is our site. Okay, great. What if we just did a two-bedroom house and we did two guest houses? What would we think about that? And we all sort of walk around with that in our minds, and we look at images of what that could look like. And we all may say collectively, the homeowner, nah, I'm just not feeling that. That's great. Good. Let's get that immediate feedback. And now let's look at something that might be two stories. And it's not that we're necessarily designing all these things because the design of the house almost comes after you've figured out the concept at a high level. Which way is the house facing? How are you entering into the garage? What's sort of the the primary view? Where's the master suite? Make the big gestures figured out in in bubble diagram and get everybody sort of excited about the big gestures. And then the, the layering of design is really a refinement to the idea that you landed on early on. Hey, Caroline really wants that that her suite, you know, her primary suite needs to be on the west side of the house so that she can sleep in. We're going to come back to that later on as we refine the design. Those inspiration images from that bar that you went to in, in Paris was all about having breakfast with that light streaming into the room. And that's the vibe that we want to give you with that built-in banquette. And that was one of those North Stars that we decided early on. And so the design iterations that are going to happen are just going to be refinements of some of those early concepts and North Stars that we all agreed on. And it's not that you can't throw those out and start over, but if you sort of go through that process of, we often say, sort of starting at 20,000 feet, make those high-level decisions early on. And then as you get deeper into the design and the details, those are just going to be sort of refined and, and revisited in detail, but maybe less so in sort of whole hog new concepts. So, okay, you mentioned like if you have engaged a designer and they get their first and second options aren't great. In those situations, do you suggest just starting over with a new person or do you? Yes. I'll answer. Like, do you just go find someone? (laughs) It depends on who that person is. If it's me, I'm telling you, we're going to be able to solve it. (laughs) Can I one more time? One more time. Yeah. Third time. Sorry. Yeah, I think if you're yeah, if you're not getting the communication right, I think it just go back to his dating thing. If you're not yeah. hey, pass. Yeah. You're not- and and life is too short. I mean, that's that's the other piece, right? You really because this is such this should be a once in a lifetime opportunity, right? Really the opportunity to engage a design team to design and build your dream house is a once in a lifetime shot. Mm-hmm. And so treat it with that and if the team's not working out, I can't say that's really happened with us. So I, I'd like to, you know, I feel like actually we always save it. We always make it work. But um, <laughs> I think if you get in that situation, yeah, no, find, yeah. find the right team. Pass. Find the team that's going to listen to you. Pass. Don't yeah. you stay with him, her. You keep going. <laughs> you find better. You just call Taryn, get her advice. Call me. <laughs> I'll be there for you with the bonbons and ice cream or whatever to talk you through it. I wanted to ask too. So, Say you pick a style 
of home. What we, Maggie had one yesterday. What was it? Tudor. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Ours is yes. the, the modern yes. tutor. Okay. Yeah. Say I want a modern tutor. With an architect, are you like, oh, I got this. I know what all the molding look like inside. Like, is that how you, is there, and or is there a style you super love that you're like, oh, I got this. I can close my eyes and do this. Me? <laughs> yes. You're the architect. I don't, I don't think I know what modern tutor means. <laughs> well, I'm going to call Maggie for some holding advice. No, it's essentially tutor in 2021. Mm. So just a little bit of background. My husband and I are building beside on the same lots with some really good friends of ours. And so when we engaged our architect, we told them we don't want them to be identical twins. They don't need to be brother and sister. They really just need to be cousins that have some shared limb on a family tree. And so my husband and I, we've done this, moved and renovated like 10 times. And so it was just kind of our turn. And I said, well, what do we want to do now? And so we're kind of combining some beautiful parts of all these homes that we've lived in or our families have had. And so I said, I just, the Tudor style really resonates with me from just the warmth factor. And to your point earlier, Kevin, when you were saying now we're really valuing smaller spaces that actually can be closed off. Um, that's really something that's where we are in our life. We have two boys, they're eight and four. So everyone just kind of having a place to be versus everyone in this one giant room and everyone's fighting for the television. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really important. And so I love that cozy vibe. I'm loving just kind of the heavier moldings, the stained door look. So when I say modern, it's just, it's just a Tudor built in 2021. (laughs) Maggie, is it then in that case, is it more you as just so people understand, is it when I'm like, I, what did the molding around the doors and the windows look like? Is it you? Is it the architect? Who am I, whom, or is it my just whole team? See which one Um, of you catches. Yeah. So it's both. So I had a style of door that I really wanted and fortunately it fit the style of the home. And so I just told that to my architect and then my builders, like, I got it. Same thing with kind of how I want to treat like my dining room. I want to do a mural wallpaper, but I want to have like a, a stained molding around the bottom of the room, which to me is very Tudor. So I have a stack of books on my nightstand, one of which is y'all's book, Kevin, and went through and kind of really found that common thread that I felt like I encouraged my clients to do. You start putting post-it notes into a couple of books or shelter magazines or even your Pinterest, you're going to start seeing that common thread. And so for me, that's where I like our taste just kind of fell. And fortunately, my husband didn't. (laughs) He didn't argue with me. So, but, you know, our neighbors (laughs) and friends, they went really modern. Like they want white oak floors and they want a white kitchen, but they're going to have the same level of detail. It will just be different type of details. And so I think that it's going to be fun to kind of see them both happen at once because they will be very different in style. As expected, Maggie's spot on to answer your question there. It was just identical process for for us really starting Mm -hmm. with the character and inspiration images. And when you get into that, you certainly you're relying a lot, I think, on the design team to take that and really understand what what it is. What is it in the details and the design of these spaces and places that you've pinned or tagged or flagged in a book that you love and how how then to translate that into the new space that no one's ever designed before, but that will have the same feeling and weight and character and quality of those images that, that you like. And I think that's an important aspect of 
quality and and really cost as well is when you pick out a home from a great shelter magazine or a book and you say oh my gosh i love this i just want the same look but maybe half the cost you know it's really it's really difficult to do (laughs) Uh, and so i think there are ways to be really budget friendly and i think when you think about your overall cost you really have to consider sort of what value you want to put on different aspects and your kitchen and your your primary suite, those are going to be places that you really sort of double down the investment in. And then, I mean, just like me, we're not touching our kids' bathroom. That's not a space where we, I've really value to spend a lot of money because Mm -hmm. there's still toothpaste on the counter every night, uh, regardless of sort of what I do there. And so I, you know, why sort of Mm. put the time in that for me, that is going to come later on when they grow up a little bit more and then all of a sudden they're going to get a great bathroom. I just, my biggest fear right now, and I, I know that you and Maggie do not deal with this mentally because you, I feel like I don't know enough to like match the outside of my house. And you guys are going to come in and be like, this is a piece of garbage that you like mixed up and throw spit out. Sorry, you and, have fantastic <laughs> But like, it not going together. Like, I don't know. Like, to your point, I like hearing the whole, and for both of you, and what are you drawn to? But that's where I was wondering, how do you work with people with like, I like this style of door, but I like, you know, I want my house to be overall this historical XYZ. And you're like, those don't go together. That's no. Or are you like, all right, let's let's modernize it so that the doors do work? No, I think there's a balance there. And I think yeah. one and, and that's what you know, Maggie, you said it. When you look at when we look at a client's inspiration images, there mm-hmm. tends to be a really wide variety of stuff. But there also is a really common theme that mm-hmm. runs throughout the images. They may not see it. But it is definitely something that we pick up on. I know, I know, Maggie. I'm sure, and any designer and landscape architect we're working with, we, we're going to pick up on that thread, and we're going to see it. And it, that's why I always say at the early onset, don't hold back on the inspiration images. Like people will send me things that are like a falling down barn or something like that that was on a family property that they passed by once. Send it over if it like if it you know if it gets you excited, yep, send it over. And if that fits. <laughs> with some crazy modernist artwork, like, please, like what, it helps us understand who you are. And then, and then to find that commonality in something that's truly unique and and a home that's, that's working for you. There will come a time where you say, I really want that arched window. And I'm just going to say, it's really just not the right answer for this home. There's all these other things. Okay. That we've okay, done. You will we, tell me I, that. I will tell you, yes. Yeah, and I think a good architect should, I, I mean, I really think a good architect and a designer should not just simply be a draftsperson to what you want. At the end of the day, we are we are experts. We are professionals. We do this for a living. And we, and we, I mean, just like you sort of value your doctor's opinion, you know, I think we, obviously we've earned that trust and we need to earn that trust. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to value that your design professionals opinion knowing that they're they're taking you down a path that is it has no self-serving you know i don't when i'm giving clients recommendations on a, a design or a layout it's not for me i'm not i know that i'm not 
going to live in that house. I'm not going to necessarily in, in, enjoy those spaces. I'm really making those suggestions and decisions because of sort of this collective information that we've got from you on how you want to live, on the spaces that you want to experience, on the character and feeling that you want as you're walking through the house. And so every recommendation, and even when we're when we're sort of being mom or dad and saying that's really not the right decision for you, it's really done from a place of a sort of design aesthetic and character that's a reaction to what we've heard you say that you want. Okay. And I think so too, you know, for us just kind of coming on board from the interiors perspective, if a client has come to Kevin and said, I've always dreamed for a Georgian style house or a colonial, or I want a grand cottage that looks like it could be in Southampton. I think that that already cues interior notes from the get go. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to come in and have some Nantucket style cottage that's covered in beautiful real cedar shake and put in like Venetian plaster walls. Like there are certain things that you're just going to kind of already predetermine. And Mm -hmm. if you're pinning things that are heavy on beadboard and shiplap and bead groove, and you love that kind of heavy millwork to look anyway, there's just a certain style of home that's going to evolve. And so I do think... (laughs) There are lots of popular shows or blogs or things right now that are just saying, shoot, throw it in there. Uh, I mean, be careful is all. But on the other hand, if you have some, again, like a beautiful historic home and you come to a wonderfully a place like historical concepts and then they are tasked with doing this cool kind of modernized addition to it. Yeah, that looks pretty dang good. You throw a little steel like catwalk or something there, but that was done by a professional. (laughs) That wasn't just (laughs) taking some unattractive 90s brick house and just kind of showing a door. So I think that there is a balance there. I happen to really love the thought of a historic home that looks like it's had these chapters over time. And especially when it looks very purposeful don't try to make it blend with the original structure. Like I, I love that because that means that a family grew there or multiple chapters of life happened there. But if I drive up to a client's home, we've got a, a client in Sandersville and they live in a house that is very Frank McCall. Well, I wasn't going to come in and start throwing up abstract art everywhere. Like it just kind of calls for a certain style anyway. So I think that if you're engaging an architect who has a vision really for the interior and the exterior of your home, then I think that you get the background as right as you can. You get the box as right as you can. And then if you get a wild hair and you want to throw in a modern sofa from RH, that's fine. Like, you know, that's you, but the background is right. And I think that you kind of know your lane too on what to speak up about and kind of trust the vision along the way. Do you do you find that people get like design ADD a lot? They get distracted by shiny yes. objects. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something you're familiar with, talking people off Very the ledge. familiar because I just have such a respect for architecture in general. I grew up in middle Georgia in a very rural area. And so I can kind of point out the homes that have sort of lasted through the years and kind of why they have and driving around and seeing these beautiful farms that have a home that was really cared for that maybe over a hundred years old. Like, I love that. I love that kind of classic architecture. And then just as soon as a client will send me something that is maybe a little outside the box, they'll just as quickly dial back and say, never mind. Like, I know you're not going to like that. 
<laughs> and so I don't even have to be that guy. But yes, to design ADD and that we are inundated with images. I mean, it is everywhere we look. It's in our mailboxes. It's on our laptops. It's on our phones. It is everywhere. And so I do think just kind of honing in and just continuing to say, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say like that really wasn't part of the vision I had for you. <laughs> I'm not going to okay. or try to hurt their feelings, but if I know that someone of Kevin's caliber has designed a home and they're asking me, mm, what do you think about this? I am never, I'm not going to say like, I know my lane. So <laughs> a lot of, we can also totally be wrong. By the way, <laughs> a fair amount of design ADD. No, don't say that. You're always right. <laughs> no, it is true, though. I mean, I think going back to when I started some 19 or 20 years ago, I do. I mean, it's just a totally different world in terms of what we're exposed to, what we all are exposed to. And so it's, I mean, how do you not have ADD on images and Pinterest and House and Instagram and you name it. I mean, it's just everywhere. And some of it is just fantastic. I mean, it's great to be exposed to so much more, but that is where I think as architects, designers, as sort of your design team that you've entrusted, I think you you are relying on them to be the editors, to say, hey, like this is all these are all my crazy ideas and this is all the inspiration that I that I've just come up with or I just saw last night on HGTV or whatever it was, I think those can all be great, but then allow your team to really do their job and, and say, hey, where does this fit in? Does this fit in? Does this work at all? And I think there's always opportunity for whimsy and there's always opportunity for something that's a counterpoint. And sometimes those make the house even more exciting than something that's sort of stayed and proper all the time. And so I think Maggie, you said it and it's spot on, like get the bones right, get like, get sort of get your house right on, on the structure. And, uh, and then I think the places where you can have fun and impermanence and, and sort of that temporal stuff, like play with it because the colors and character and furniture schemes that you are going to live with for the rest of your life, totally going to change. But I think the base of you, the foundation, that skeleton is probably going to be the same. Wait. We talk about going rogue when a client goes rogue. And we talk a lot about it here in my office, like, or on our text chain. Oh, gosh, so-and-so went rogue. As long as they didn't go rogue on, if it's a bar stool that's kind of a little bit more modern and they've got a very traditional kitchen, okay, we can, that shows who they are. But if, if they go rogue and they pick out something kind of crazy and then they purchase it on their own, it probably happens to me uh -oh. a lot more often than it happens to Kevin. But you're right, like just to get the box right. And and maybe that is like in a traditional home, sticking with mostly traditional things, but then having those couple of modern things to make it feel more like you. You don't want it to feel like it was someone else's home or, or whatever. But if, if you get the big pieces right to match the style of the house. Yeah. Okay, I have one more question. And this is really... I'm wondering if people come to you like wanting a renovation and when do you know whether it's a renovation really isn't the smartest choice and you should just tear it down and should you're an architect, you're, you are a classicist. When is it okay to tear your house down and when should mm. you really try to respect Savor? history? Yes. And, yeah. 
and keep what's there. That's a hard one. That is a hard one. I don't think you prepped me for this. <laughs> that wasn't on my list. Light, easy if it's a three-two ranch, Kevin's going to say tear it down. I <laughs> see. I felt guilty even knocking down my. Well, ranch. really? No. If, it would you say like, tear it down? I just felt sad. Oh. Well, yeah, he'll tear it. It is. It feels wasteful. I mean, it, yeah, you want to. I don't know. The big wrecking like, ball. Yes, and I lived there, so yeah. there was like a little piece of me that like loved hating it. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, this stupid ranch. So I did. I felt guilty. So yeah, I want to know Kevin's answer. I had a. I I'm gonna. I'll tell you a story first, and then I'll answer it. Which is that we met with a couple and. Um, they had family property that had been in the family for a long time. And I think it was his grandfather had built this beautiful home in like the late 1800s, summer house for family. Um, Frederick Law Olmsted did the uh, design work for the landscape. Yeah. Oh, God. So it was pretty, a pretty impressive estate. And you tore it down? No. Oh, okay. okay. Let it finish. We were, okay. we were meeting them in a 1960s ranch house. And... <laughs> They had all these pictures of this beautiful home that had been torn down in place of the 1960s ranch house. And he said, my uncle took over the property, it, you know, eventually get, went to him. He just didn't want to spend the money to maintain the beautiful house. And so he tore it down and built this 1960s ranch house. And now we want to re-envision this as sort of the 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 original vision, like this, that this was a, a wonderful estate. And I said, tear it down. And he's like, well, it's a totally good house. You know, it's a fine house. And I said, well, what don't you like about it? Well, the ceilings are too low. Tear it down. It's not really, there's not really any value in keeping an eight foot ceiling if you want 10, because you're taking off the roof. You're basically taking down all the walls because none of the windows work anymore when they were designed for an eight foot ceiling. I don't know. There's just so much. There's so much that, you know, it's material there. It's like the windows work just fine. Yes, I understand. But you don't like the quality of courage i was like what well, did you do you like your uncle oh no i don't like him at all <laughs> i was like if there's no <laughs> sentimental value here just tear the thing down and we got the job because we told him we would work with him to not tear it down and so we did a sort of whole house renovation to the home i mean it's just a fantastic site just a great great couple and but i was so impacted by that process that he just saw the value in the materials that were there that he just couldn't bring himself to tear it down. I'm totally on the fence on it. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, if, if it's a house from pre 1920, I'm going to have a really hard time saying that, that, that it needs to go away because chances are it was done really well. It probably, if, even if it's been added onto and butchered over time, chances are the bones and the soul of that house were so well done that it can be saved and salvaged. And even if it doesn't, match your vision at all there's probably no reason really to bring it down because homes were done so well and they had so much love and quality that went into their design and homes that are still standing from that time have probably been taken very well care of over the years and so i think there's you know it's a little bit of a numbers game right there's just so we're not what did somebody say? We're not building any more hundred year old houses. Like <laughs> those, those things just don't exist anymore. So I think yeah. saving them is a value. And because the population was what a quarter of what it is now, a hundred years ago, there just aren't that many good ones. And the ones that were, uh, that are still around are, are usually quite good. 
there are also old houses that aren't good. And just because they're old doesn't mean they're good. And so <laughs> it's yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It's true. And so that's where I think you really have to put in the question of the value that you're putting on the, the house, the existing structure, and and also maybe the quality of construction. Because a lot of newer homes, and I'll use new sort of as a, a maybe the last 50 or 60 years, are not as well built and there were not good materials and they all the windows are leaking because they didn't put any flashing up and there's no insulation in the walls and so wind howls through the house and if you have sort of structural and water issues on a, on a house like that i really don't have a hard time saying hey if you're going to invest all this just do it right yes it's a it's sort of a shame to to waste that material but look at look at how efficient you're going to be with a, a much tighter building envelope, you know, much better design. And, and even though it feels sort of hurtful, I think, to the environment to say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to tear down this, this house that's been here for 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years. The reality is that you are actually saving because what you're going to invest in is a house that is going to be there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and the shame was actually on the person that built that crabby house to begin with in 1970 for shame <laughs> we'll blame them well too i think even like 10 or 15 years ago if someone would have suggested tearing down a house everyone would say no 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 we can work with it but really in the past five years the way the building prices and really right now it's just kind of a wash on what my clients have decided to do that's not to say that's the case everywhere but especially in Atlanta, in a metropolitan area, we're finding that the teardown is just kind of sometimes easier because of kind of trying to work within a footprint. And so then you kind of have to wrap your head around. Basically, you pay for a house on a lot and now you're just basically paying for the lot. But then you kind of get to start from scratch and not trying to pigeonhole into something that was already there that you weren't really in love with anyway. So I would definitely say like kind of more in the current climate, teardowns seem to be a little bit more commonplace, at least for me, with what my clients are doing. Makes sense. I've mm -hmm. worked with folks before and, you know, I say, oh, well, did you ever think about just moving the kitchen to the totally other side of the house? And they're like, what? You can do that? Well, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're taking the thing down to the studs. Like the kitchen, even though it's where it is, doesn't always have to be where it is. And so don't feel like you're paralyzed by this decision-making process. Like, oh my gosh, is it going to be a teardown or is it going to be an add-on? Because uh, it might be something sort of in between the two that you hadn't thought of yet mm -hmm. that, that could solve all the problems and make your dream house work. What, what do you wish that someone hiring an architect would know before they hire you or before they start on their project in general. I was not prepared for this one. Caroline's <laughs> <laughs> just like budget. I know. Oh my gosh. He, he, well, we actually will talk budget before we're engaged. I think that's a really important thing to know before again. Before you before we go out on the first date, we should probably know where we're going to dinner <laughs> and, and what you what kind of experience you want to have. I, obviously in that regard I would say budget I would say time. I know just in, in, in general, there are so many different, there's such a wide spectrum of what hiring an architect or a design team looks like from, from a time standpoint, from a cost standpoint. And so 
I, you know, one of my hopes is that I can do like a better job of sort of presenting sort of what all, what that spectrum looks like because I think you can Google on the internet and find just about everything. So perhaps it's that that there was a better source of education about time and and cost and and then sort of the return on that those investments. And I feel like so much of today and sort of what we were talking about of the constant inundation with images is also information overload and that there's an expectation of immediacy with everything and you can flip a house in seven days for next to nothing and I don't that just doesn't happen um, you know you can't just get a house and spend eighteen thousand dollars on it and have a brand new kitchen that's not gonna happen and yet I'm I guarantee we could turn on the TV at seven o'clock and probably see that. So I, I, I think it's, it's, it's that it's probably a little more education and understanding of the sort of total process. And, and it's not just money. I mean, there's obviously a, a, a part of that, but some of it is, is time. I would second that 100%. Just, wow. I feel like a lot of what we do is just to educate our clients on just the process in general, like how long things take, what a quality piece of furniture is good, fast, and, you know, it, inexpensive or not synonymous, you're dealing with someone who thought that it was going to cost this and it's going to cost this. And so I think that a lot of what we do is the same thing. It's just the expectations and education of this is actually how that works because the way you think it might is probably ill-informed. And like you said, anything that's quality, is not going to cost $18,000 for a kitchen. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> but yeah. I do think Absolutely, that it would be helpful if there was a more re realistic way of educating a client on what things actually cost and time involved. It's well, it's so true because a lot of your clients, the first and or only time they've done it, so it's like a it, a lot learned where you guys have already taken a lot of that out for people. It's like so. becoming a first time parent. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah. You didn't get the you didn't get the uh, didn't the get manual the... the child manual when you oh were shoot the Caroline <laughs> yeah you forgot the manual y'all all had it except me <laughs> yep our kids are all perfect I think one of the things I, I just a kind of a parting word I ask my clients is kind of what are you what do you think you're going to do and then what are you kind of willing to do because those two things can be really different even from conceptual if you say I only want to spend this amount on a room or the interiors of my home. Well, what is the number that you would be willing to do it for too? Because the same thing with the building process, they may have a number in their head and they're like, I can do this. I can, we can afford this. Well, if it was just, what would you be willing to do to get it right the first time? And that's a conversation that usually happens somewhere along the list of a spreadsheet <laughs> that comes from a builder after plans are done or a proposal from us or, those things. I think it's important just to know that there, you need to be flexible. It needs to be fun. You need to have um, just to know that this is a great process. And, and to Aaron's note that he, that he said, if you are building right now, you are very blessed and that it doesn't need to be a stressful thing. It needs to be fun. And um, to know that you're getting such a wonderful thing at the end. You dream totally. great parting words. Totally agree. <laughs> Loved it. Perfect. It's perfect. Kevin and Maggie, thank you both so much. Yes. Thank you. So helpful. Yes. Thank and I you hope, all. I hope we answered everyone's questions. And Kevin, would you like to tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work? Sure. 
Uh, so historical concepts, www.historicalconcepts.com. If you want to follow along with my uh, little renovation and addition, Instagram, kevin.clark.hc. Well, that was easy to find. I'm, I'm giving, <laughs> I know. My wife told me that when we first started dating, she's like, is your name made up? It sounds fake. And then we were like, watching a commercial and like, you know, one of these like paid actor type of people. I'm Kevin Clark for Weight Watchers. She's like, See? like I knew it. I knew <laughs> your name was Amazing. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.